This morning we pick up our study in Ephesians 4. You may notice that we skipped over chapter 3, and that's because, uh, you know, Ephesians 3 didn't do anything wrong. It's not a bad chapter. But with a new series coming in Lent, we only have so much time. I encourage you all to go back and read Ephesians chapter 3, where Paul elaborates on what we discussed last week in Ephesians 2, as Paul applies his theology of grace to the unity of the church. Because of the grace of God made possible by Jesus Christ, the walls and the barriers that seek to divide us have been abolished. We just have to recognize it and live accordingly, which is why Paul prays in the second half of Ephesians 3 that the church truly come to understand the significance of God's grace. In his words, the breadth, length, height, and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge, Ephesians 3. Which leads us to Ephesians 4, where Paul begins by reminding us of his imprisonment. Ephesians is one of four prison letters written during Paul's incarceration in Rome, the other three being Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Paul says in verse 4-1, I, the prisoner in the Lord. Paul understands that even though he is in prison, he is still in the Lord. God has not forgotten or abandoned him. In fact, God is using Paul in a profound way. For letters he writes during his imprisonment, they are deeply significant for the church, for Christians for thousands of years, shaping our understanding of joy and grace and forgiveness and relational healing. Paul is in prison, but God is still with him. God is still using Paul even though he will eventually be executed. The Bible does not say how or where Paul dies, but there are several accounts in the first and second century that state Paul is beheaded in Rome. Even in death, Paul is in the Lord. As he says in Philippians, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Even in death, God does not Abandon us. Amen. As a prisoner and a man who had nearly died several times, Paul had been beaten, whipped, shipwrecked, stoned. Coming face to face with your mortality changes you. You get some perspective and you come to understand what is really important, what matters most in life. Talk to someone who's terminal and they'll tell you. So with great authority, Paul can tell the Ephesians to focus on what matters most. As a prisoner in the Lord, Paul says, I beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And what is this calling? With all humility and gentleness, With patience, 
bearing with one another in love, make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Living out the gospel directly relates to how we treat the people in our lives. From the beginning of creation, God's main concern is how we treat others. At its core, Torah is teaching about worship and community, how we relate to God and people. And you want to know how to treat people well? Paul gives a simple recipe. Humility. Patience and gentleness. We say a lot in the church about humility and patience, even though we haven't quite mastered those, but we don't say much about gentleness. We're confused if we think gentleness is weakness. The Greek word for gentleness can also be translated as courtesy, as in having consideration for others. As one New Testament scholar put it, without being concerned for your own personal reputation or gain. It is a very selfless form of kindness, gentleness. When conflict and controversy come, the truth is, God is more concerned about how we treat one another than the actual conflict or controversy itself. With God, the person is always more important than the problem. Humility, patience, and gentleness. With these tools, Paul says, make every effort to maintain unity and peace. Paul is actually using military language here. The word maintain can be translated as to guard or keep or protect. The image is that of an army surrounding a city to protect it and guard it from opposing attackers. They are there to stand guard and keep the city from all harm. Guard and protect the unity of the church like your life depends on it. Paul wants us to take this very seriously. Interestingly, Ephesians is not addressed to any one church in Ephesus. It's called a letter of circulation, meant to be circulated throughout the province. Paul isn't responding to a specific controversy in this church. He's giving a mandate for churches everywhere, all times, in all places. Protect the unity of the church. Cultivate shalom and harmony. I like how Eugene Peterson paraphrases verse 4. You were called to travel on the same road and in the same direction, so stay together. It can be tempting, it can be tempting though, to assume that we have to choose unity over honesty. That's not the case. 
God isn't interested in us having shallow, anemic relationships. If unity is all we cared about, we might stay together, but unity without truth leads us nowhere. We're either moving in the wrong direction or not at all. So Paul says in verse 15, we must speak the truth together in love so that we can grow up. We grow when we encounter truth. We should not assume that speaking the truth in love solely means pointing out each other's faults, which is always fun. When my wife was in high school, she was a part of an all-girls small group. One night when they were meeting, they decided they were going to speak the truth and tell each other exactly what they didn't like about one another. It did not go well. (laughs) As you can imagine, there were many, many tears. And for all of you parents out there, this is not what we're teaching our youth group leaders to do, so that won't happen here. But sometimes speaking the truth in love is having a hard conversation that someone may need to hear if they are going to grow. I have had a lot of these conversations with people about me, (laughs) about how I need to grow. (laughs) Who was that? Raise your hand. (laughs) And when these conversations come, when it comes time for you to have this conversation, May it come from a place of love and speak with all humility, patience, and gentleness. But remember, speaking the truth should always come back to the ultimate truth. As Jesus says in John, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Speaking the truth to one another is about reminding each other of the gospel. Now that doesn't mean giving cliche answers when our friends are down and out. Much of the time it's as simple as saying, hey, remember God loves you. I love you. How can I journey with you during this time? Speaking the truth also involves pointing out the gifts and the potential we see in others. Speaking the truth is encouraging. Helping others uncover their gifting and ability God is generous beyond the usual categories we tend to think. God doesn't just forgive you of your past and offer you hope for a future, but God equips us with gifts to be used in the present for our own blessing, the blessing of others. Verse 7 and 8 But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself captive. He gave gifts to his people. 
And verse 11, the gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. In other words, Jesus has set us all free and given us the resources and the equipment and the gifts necessary to go on this mission of setting others free in this congregation and outside of it. The list Paul gives in verse 11 is not comprehensive. There are other lists in the New Testament which include but are not limited to gifts of encouragement, generosity, healing, serving, leadership. A lot of different kinds of gifts. Gifts, as Paul says, to build up the church. Gifts to encourage and strengthen one another. Gifts to be used for others. In our culture, we like to think how our gifts and our abilities can better serve ourselves. But in God's culture, God gives us gifts and abilities for the sake of of others. Do you know your gift? You have one, at least, probably more. God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit, is the source of all life all wisdom, all creativity, and the giver of what the Bible calls spiritual gifts. Talking about spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12 says, to each is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit for the common good. To each, every one of us has a gift, something to bring The fact that God has given you a gift to help build others up is the constant reminder that you have a place in the body of Christ. You belong. Every one of us. There may be times where it seems like you don't need the church or you don't need people in your life, but someone in this church needs You needs your gift. And there will be times when you need the gifts of others, their encouragement, their guidance, their friendship, them coming over and turning off your water when you knocked a pipe and water is gushing all over the place. Thanks, Hal, for doing that, by the way. In the body of Christ, we all work together, giving and receiving grace, building each other up. This is exactly what it's supposed to look like, and it can be so good if we let it. Of course, there will be growing pains. Being a part of the church is never easy or perfect. But as Paul says, we bear with one another in love. Because apart from the body of Christ, we are incomplete. We were meant, we were built to do this together. 
During my last year, or excuse me, my second year of seminary, Sarah and I were looking for a church in Pasadena, California, where I was going to school. And one Sunday morning, we decided we were going to go visit a small Mennonite church in Pasadena. A number of students and professors from my school had attended there and said I should go check it out. Well, toward the end of the service, there was a time of sharing and prayer. And this one woman stood up. and She said, you know, as many of you know, it's the one year anniversary of when I had my kidney replaced, my kidney transplant. I would like to thank God for my healing. And I'd like to thank Dave for donating me his kidney. And no joke, this guy named Dave in the back just gives her a thumbs up and says, you got it. You're welcome. Sarah and I are like, are you kidding me? This church just doesn't do a monthly potluck. They are literally giving each other their organs. <laughs> that first impression is all it took for us. We, want, we wanted to be a part of it. We wanted to learn and to watch how this community of Christ followers cared for each other and took Jesus seriously. It was powerful. As we commit to loving one another as the church, caring for one another, being humble, patient, and gentle in how we treat each other, we begin to see the beauty of living in a grace-filled community. We begin to see the beauty of shalom, what God intended. And the world will see it too. Let's pray. God, you have never abandoned us. By your spirit, you are near. And by the gift of the people, the church, the body of Christ, we have each other. We have the love and the support of this community. Lord, teach us, show us how to live it out in a fresh and new way. God, we pray for your Holy Spirit to come. And may this community and all communities that are founded on the name of Jesus Christ be communities of love and grace. For your worship, for your glory, and for your honor, we pray. Amen.